This episode is sponsored by yet another great company that I use and endorse, and that is Bubs Naturals. Now, they are offering you guys a discount on your first purchase with them, and I'll get to that in a moment, but I really want to tell you the history of Bubs. Bubs was a call sign of Glenn Doherty, one of the courageous Navy SEALs that died in Benghazi, and his best friend, Sean Lake, co-founded Bubs Naturals not only to bring wellness solutions to the community, but to take 10% of the profits and donate to charities in Glenn's name. So I first came across their collagen through Jeff Nichols and had no preconceived notions or biases, but I started to witness in myself, my nails grow faster, my hair get thicker and longer, my skin, I've got very dry skin and it usually cracks in the winter, that has not happened this year. My joints, the aching, the kind of inflammation has definitely subsided. And then what really blew me away was actually my gut health. I saw that improve. And when you think about the gut is 80% of your immune system, that is incredibly pertinent. They have the apple cider vinegar gummies. I also take those. And then the MCT oil in a powder form has allowed me to put creamer back in my coffee after swearing off dairy for years. But when I have this creamer, it's adding energy, it's adding mental focus, so yet it's another supplement. Now, as far as efficacy, they're the only collagen that is 100% NSF for sports certified and Whole30 approved. So as I mentioned, the discount code. They are offering you 20% off a one-time purchase by using the code SHIELD at bubsnaturals.com. And if you want to hear the full story behind Bubs Naturals, and the courage of Glenn Doherty. Listen to my interview with Glenn's best friend and Bub's co-founder, Sean Lake, on episode 558 of the Behind the Shield podcast. This episode is sponsored by 511, a company that I've used for well over a decade and continue to use to this day. And 511 is offering you guys, the audience of the Behind the Shield podcast, a discount on every purchase you make with them. Before we get to that code, I want to highlight a couple of products that, again, I personally use today. One of the most impressive products they just released is their Rush Backpack 2.0. Now, for many of you, whether you're going to the fire station, the police station, whether you're traveling with your family, whether you're taking training courses, we have to fly, we have to drive, we have to take trains. And I have to say, I own multiple backpacks, many of uh, 5.11's different ones, but as far as a day pack, this one was the most impressive. There are so many different compartments. The way it sits on your back is incredibly comfortable. If you are a concealed carry person, there's also a spot for a weapon. So they've thought of multiple, multiple things that a man or woman would have to do on a daily basis. That is in addition to all of the products that I talk about a lot. Their uniforms fit for men or fit for women in the first responder professions. The footwear that they offer, whether it's the Norris sneaker or the Atlas system that is designed for foot health and therefore knees and back and hips and shoulders and neck. As a civilian, I live in a lot of their clothes as well. Their jeans stretch. You can actually squat down in them. We live in Florida here, so I wear a lot of their shorts, which again, very, very lightweight material. You can get it wet and it will dry almost immediately. And then moving to the fitness and tactical space, I used to have just a regular weight vest. Recently, I switched to a 511 vest and actually bought ballistic plates as well. My thinking was simply, if I'm going to have a vest, why not have one that protects me as well? And that TAC vest is trusted by law enforcement all around the country. So I mentioned they were going to offer you a discount code. So if you go to 511tactical.com and enter the code SHIELD15, S-H-I-E-L-D-1-5, You'll get 15% off, not just that one purchase, but every time you visit their store. 
And if you want to learn more about 5.11, their mission, their products, then listen to episode 338 of the Behind the Shield podcast with the CEO and founder, Francisco Morales. This episode is sponsored by Revitalist, yet another company that I have pursued to bring on the show as a sponsor because I know they truly have solutions to many of the problems that we face. Currently, there is a global pain and mental health pandemic that we are suffering through. For some people, traditional therapies are working, whether it's psychotherapy, whether it's even prescribed medication, but for many, many people, they are what's known as treatment resistant. The traditional roads are just not working for them, leaving them even more frustrated. You may have heard multiple times on this show the Navy SEAL community, for example, having incredible success with Ibogaine and psilocybin, and in the UK, MDMA-led therapy. The problem is none of those are legal at the moment. The good news is the anesthesiology world discovered that ketamine, a drug that they use legally every day during surgeries, actually has incredible mental health and chronic pain applications as well. Now, on episode 559, I had Catherine Walker, a certified nurse anesthetist, who decided to start Revitalist after seeing the incredible results on chronic pain and mental health challenges. This rapidly expanding company is currently in nine locations spanning Knoxville, Tennessee, Detroit, Houston, Jacksonville, Florida, and beyond. And each facility offers low-dose ketamine therapy, ketamine-assisted psychotherapy, TMS, vitamin infusions, and so much more. Now, to truly hear the full story behind this, go to episode 559 and listen to Catherine Walker's episode, or go to revitalistclinic.com to learn more about the therapies they offer, their locations, and to reach out to them yourself. Welcome to episode 588 of Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing, and this week it is my absolute honor to welcome back on the show, Jason McCarthy. Now, Jason is a former Green Beret and the co-founder of GORUCK, but he's also one of the middle-of-the-road common-sense voices that I reach out to when I want to understand certain areas. So on that note, we open with discussing what is happening in the Ukraine and the West's involvement in that. As I feel, once again, we get the political lenses of some of these conflicts, but not the human lens. Then we talk about Sandlot Jacks, the incredible fitness festival that he and the Go Rock community will be holding in Jacksonville next month. Now, before we get to this incredible conversation, as I say every week, please just take a moment, go to whichever app you listen to this on, subscribe to the show, leave feedback, and leave a rating. Every single five-star rating truly does elevate this podcast, making it easier for others to find it. And this is a free library of almost 600 episodes now, 600 of the greatest minds on the planet. So all I ask in return is that you help share these incredible men and women's stories so I can get them to every single person who needs to hear them. So with that being said, I welcome back Jason McCarthy. Enjoy. Well, Jason, I want to start by saying thank you, firstly, so much for coming back on the Behind the Shield podcast, but also it's unusual because we are not face-to-face and we did the last two conversations in your champagne room at GORUCK. So welcome to this virtual conversation today. Thanks, man. Yeah, I mean, technology is a good tool in this case, right? 
we, we know each other, we're, we're friends, whatever, but sometimes you got you to make it work for you. Absolutely. Well, we're going to talk about an event that is 0% virtual in a little bit. Um, I want to open with a kind of, I guess, icebreaker is the wrong description for all the horrendous things that are happening at the moment. But <clears throat> episode 505, you, Rich, and Emily sat down and gave such an incredible conversation discussion on the impact of the Afghan withdrawal on on our people, on our veterans, on you know the the people that were left behind, that were our allies, and I think it's one of the most downloaded episodes of this podcast, and rightly so. So that was episode five hundred five for people listening. So what this last few weeks, you know, I'll, I'll preface it with this: my my lens on this whole thing has been very much like all of a sudden, despite all the conflicts and all the invasions and all the atrocities going around. We seem to have come out of COVID and immediately be invested into this latest invasion. And it seems to also be a very one-sided story being told. I personally can't imagine that the Russian people were just sitting at home stirring their tea going, you know what? We should invade the, the Ukraine. And at the same time, of course, when you're in a country being invaded, there's no, you know, there's an obvious reaction to that as we've seen in so many countries where that's happened before. So I'm kind of baffled as to why this is this one has been put front and center and why it's been such a polarizing story that we've been given. Um, so I'm just going to give you the mic the same way as you guys did with uh, with the Afghan withdrawal. Just any any kind of ideas or different perspectives that you can offer a layman such as myself to give us a, a kind of a more layered uh, understanding of what's going on. Okay, so I mean I don't think this is a surprise. I mean, this has been something that, that Putin has wanted to do for forever, and he's finally doing it. And I, nobody, nobody knows all of the, the calculus behind his decisions or why or, or whatever. There's a lot of theories, and there's a lot of people that know Russia and him a lot better than I do. Um, I, I did listen to an interesting podcast called Wind of Change, which was about that song. It was, it was about the song from the scorpions that marked kind of the end of the, the end of the cold war. And there was one anecdote in there that I found fascinating, which was, and it's, it's a long and windy story and it's, it's, a, it's a solid listen though. But one anecdote was Putin was a KGB officer who was in East Berlin when the, when, you know, the, the, the wall came down, it was coming down and he was he was looking for reinforcements from Russia. No, sorry. He ordered or, or asked the tank commanders in town to come and protect their the embassy or the station where all of the papers were and all of the stuff for the KGB. And they said we do nothing without without uh, approval from Moscow. And so they said no, in essence. And so it left this indelible mark on on his life about you know the the importance of quote, quote, Moscow and all of this. And now he is Moscow. And so, you know, for him, that was something where, you know, America was the enemy. And that's, you can't really replace that in someone's life. Even when he goes fishing with Bush 43 and Bush 41, whatever, you know, in the early days, post 9-11. And, and, you know, he's a, he's a foxy guy and he's tough to predict the, the win and exactly all of that, but certainly this is not a surprise. And, and everyone's comparing it to China. Will they invade Taiwan? I mean, you know, does anybody think really that they're not going to invade Taiwan? It's just a question of when. 
And if they get stronger relative to everyone else getting weaker and they feel that they can, then they will. So with Russia, to me, it, it's more like it's just the, the threat of autocracy is something that I, I really take to heart in all of this, right? Like the more you drift towards autocracy, the more that this kind of stuff happens. And so it makes me more appreciative and grateful for our system here. And yet, I mean, <laughs> not surprised. It's just, it's, it, it is certainly a mess. And then, you know, what's, what's gonna, what's gonna come now is a really multi-pronged approach to all of this, I think. Well, as a soldier, then it's one thing going into a country hunting air quotes, terrorists in response to, you know, attack on domestic soil. It's another to invade Taiwan, to invade Ukraine, to invade wherever, to say, you know, the Nazis, you know, invade France, Poland. Um, what is it that is happening behind the scenes that is encouraging what were once, you know, regular folk, regular citizens to buy into a plan to not defend their own country, but actually invade another one? Uh, look, I don't know the specifics per se. I, I will say... Some percentage of the the attackers from the Russian military did not know that they were going to war with Ukraine, and they were told this was a training exercise. I mean, that is really difficult to comprehend. And so, you know, even if you want to, you look at sort of history. I mean, the the leader owes it to the people to explain why we're doing something, and and even if you don't owe it to them per se you're just creating mercenaries if you don't. So I have no doubt that there are some ardent nationalists in Russia who think that, you know, the Soviet Union never should have been disbanded and they want to they want to put it back together. Right? I have like that exists. And and yet war is fought by common people. And those common people are on the front lines. And if you don't have their buy-in or it's it just it's really because at some point when I fought for America, yes, I was fighting for America, but then I was fighting for the guy to my left and my right. And, and America just kind of, it becomes them. So you thrust people into war, but if they don't have collective, if they're not kind of aligned, the guy to your left, if you start asking questions and wait, what, you know, and it, it just, the, the fabric of, of why you're doing what you're doing, it's just difficult. And I think you're seeing some of those, those difficulties come come to light in, in what's going on here just in, in kind of I know they thought they were going to take it in three days and here we are it's still going and I mean I, I don't know man I mean I, I think that it's not a good way to wage a war in essence how he's doing it and and so it, it ultimately does always come back to the people fighting and so then you know you read I, I read all the same stuff you do right there's mercenaries and Chechen rebels coming in and they're all going to it's just that is that is messy. Ultimately, what I, what I think all of that leads to is just it's really messy. Now, with what we're being fed, speaking of you know the the leadership that we have at the moment, and I use that term loosely, and I will be very very clear. I apply that loosely to the last several. Um, it appears that we're being sold a very very specific narrative. One side is good, one side is bad, black and white. Um, and I can't help having had this amazing conversation with the three of you only months ago when we finally got all our men and women home, or you know, pretty much all of them, that there's an immediate posturing 
which again, you can't argue against the fact that the industrial military complex would have a hand in it, that they're looking to fling our children right back into another conflict. So with the actual message that's being delivered via our media, again, do you have any perspectives of, of that and why we're getting that versus so many other of the conflicts around the world that don't seem to get any airtime whatsoever? I mean, the stakes are just really high here is ultimately what what I see. And I mean, besides the fact of the humanitarian crisis, there sadly are a lot of those. But the humanitarian crisis and all of that, I mean, Russia is a nuclear power, you know, and doesn't seem to have, it, it just seems crazy what, what, and, and that's kind of part of the unpredictability. And to those of us listening who are Americans right here at home, I mean, Donald Trump was also very unpredictable. I mean, the other leaders were a little bit more predictable and Donald Trump was very unpredictable. And to me, Putin right now, other than the fact that he always wanted to do this, is a very predictable, or, or sorry, he's very unpredictable in terms of like, will he drop the nuke? You know, like, will he do it? I, I don't know. I mean, you're seeing really strong leadership from Zelensky. I mean, you know, I need ammo, not a ride is a pretty strong rallying cry in, in all of this. And, you know, I mean, I think, there's this idea that the Russians are going to break the back of the people through more bombs and all of this. And history just doesn't really hold that true. I mean, when the Nazis were bombing London, it pulled the Londoners together. I mean, they start to band together. And so, you know, what should the U.S. do is kind of maybe where we're kind of angling. And I don't want to drift too far into, hey, I'm like some sort of expert on this. But to me, there's a lot of interests at stake. And if you look at a 40-mile column of tanks ready to move into to Ukraine, I mean, you know, I mean, this is a guerrilla warfare that we're a guerrilla war that's about to be fought. We know what this looks like. This is this is what happened in Afghanistan when the Soviets were there and we were feeding them stinger missiles. This is what happened in in Iraq when things started to go sideways. It just turns into a guerrilla war. And and you know, I, I don't I don't have my my uh, finger on any bank accounts transferring any funds or any weapons, but I would be shocked if we were not transferring large, large amounts of anti-tank, anti-aircraft, anti-all of that stuff into, into the region. And it's, it's going to become just messy. And so you, you read these reports about, you know, senior officials are expecting a 10 to 30 year war in Ukraine. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. And so... You know, it just depends upon the commitment of, of the Soviets. And I think the more interesting part in all of this, the most interesting part is that as more and more countries will lose their appetite for absolute bloodshed of their people, and I think Putin largely has pulled the wool over people's eyes, right? I mean, I, I don't think that his people in, inside of his country in mass understand what is going on. That's why you shut down the internet. It's why you shut down all of these kinds of things to reduce communication um, of, of the actual ground truth. And you come out with these just absolute fabrications on, you know, the fascist regime next door. I mean, come on, man. Right. But the most interesting thing is what, what truly happens with the, the way that the rest of the entire world saved China is essentially dealing with this war and like we're waging now economic war. And 
I think it is a it is a huge prequel and a huge deterrent to like it, it, maybe that's the goal. It will become a huge deterrent to China, right? I mean, because ultimately China, if they're right there, they're going to take Taiwan. They have the masses. If they're willing to shed any amount of blood, they're going to take. It. Like it's just too close, you know. Uh, but in, and it's the same thing here, and I keep kind of bouncing back to these various points. Because Russia, like, let's, let's put this in context. Russia has an economy the size of Italy's, okay? It's, it's not, you know, it's not close to America's. It's, it's, it's a fraction. And, you know, if you're kind of willing to trade all economic, all economic ties with the rest of the world for taking Ukraine, and re, you know, re-engaging the, the Soviet Union. I mean, it's creating a more isolated world. And we know what that looks like. History is rhyming here, right? And so that's just, I mean, it's going to hurt, right? Uh, unless, unless the calculus from Putin is that the, the devaluation of the ruble doesn't matter as much if you don't care if that, if that the ruble crosses borders, right? If you just say, hey, we're going to be the Soviet Union, and I'm thinking in generational terms here, not just right now or four years from now, which has never been a limiter for Putin. And if you keep getting people that are committed to this notion and you keep getting autocrats in there who are basically going to say, hey, I'm for the USSR coming back together or whatever, you know, the Soviet Union becoming a thing, let's reunite everybody and you don't care about global ties, I mean, your country is going to be a lot less wealthy. Your people are going to be, you know, they're going to suffer economically. But if you don't care, and, and idealism is what motivates you more than, than money, then that's what you're getting here, or at least the early stages of it. So how effective will economic war be when you can't, like, none of the economic ties are, are there with, with Russia anymore? And I just think that's kind of a fascinating precedent in a world where, like, what does the next war look like? Short of nuclear holocaust, which I'm not kind of, I'm not raising that fear alarm at all. I'm just kind of saying, even though it's, it's a rational thing to, to consider, but I mean, does anybody, you know, there's got to be some type of cyber element to all the next wars, right? I mean, you shut down currency, you shut down the power grid, you you, you, you isolate the banking sectors, you make it so that it's just chaos for people that are just addicted to the technology, the whole way of life and the whole system depends upon the technology. And, and if that goes away, then if 99.9% of the people cannot, cannot go about their daily lives or their economic lives or anything without that, then, you know, that's, that's going to be, that's warfare. And I think we're seeing the early stages of a new form of warfare in response. The question is, is like, how, how should it be involved with a physical presence or not as it relates to providing weapons or, you know, no fly zones inside of Russia? And, you know, Putin's going to say his stuff about anything you do is an act of war and, and all of this stuff. I mean, it's going to take a lot more than just the United States, I think, in order to sustain a, a credible and actionable defense for for Ukraine short of this kind of 10 to 30 year guerrilla war in 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 that country which it's just a mess man you know 
it's just a mess. There's no, there's no easy button here. No, no. And the thing is that with the history element, you know, sadly you see it over and over and over again. And it's like, I think what's so heartbreaking and I love talking to your community because I think maybe people don't understand the, the kind of, uh, the role of the Green Beret as far as a force multiplier, as far as going in and, 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 you know, being amongst these people around the world and training them up and understanding the politics. You know, I think you get a lens that a lot of people don't, even if they're in regular, you know, branches of the military. Um, but we've got so many lessons over and over and over. And again, it's always the few sending the masses to war with each other. And I'm, I'm just kind of baffled. Like at what point, when, how do we get to the point where the masses go, no? I'm not. I'm not fucking going into Ukraine. Have you lost your fucking mind? No, you know what I mean. And let's get that guy out because he is a lunatic, and he might push that button. I, how do we force multiply the masses to to understand that this pyramid that 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 person at the top, we don't work for them. They work for us. And sending you know over and over again, wherever it is on the globe, our you know young men and women to war, which basically never amounts to anything other than very very well wealthy you know weapons manufacturers and military graveyards swelling um that's to me the, the evolution of man is that you know we've evolved to stand we've evolved to to invent and innovate how do we evolve our kindness and compassion to the point where we stand up against tyranny in this country you, you mean inside of the states uh, every country but let's take the states yeah. for example but yeah i well, mean you I, know I whether it's, it's germany it's, in the 40s or whatever it is I mean, look, I think that it's, it, it comes in waves for all of us and each generation is kind of, you know, I mean, we, we all have our data points now. I mean, ultimately, I think if you look throughout history, I mean, war is actually a very bad way to, to, to resolve political disputes. And, you know, there are, there are a couple exceptions, you know, everyone points to World War II and I think that's correct, Right. Um, it, it, I don't think, I know it's correct. Like that was a necessary fight, but like other stuff is, is just using war in, in the absence of something else. And it, it hasn't kind of proven to be well. I mean, the States is an interesting one with Iraq being the most interesting, relevant case, I should say. And, you know, that's the war I fought in and, and Bush made the case. I mean, he made the case. He, he did, he went through the right the right channels, you know, the UN signed off on it, all of these kinds of things. And, you know, I remember someone at the time saying, well, you know, France was kind of the holdout and was called all sorts of names and all of this stuff. But I remember there was critique at the time that said, you know, of course, Russia is going to vote for this because they want to take Ukraine. Of course, Taiwan, or, or sorry, of course, China is going to vote for this because they want to take Taiwan. And you kind of look at it and look, an active, educated, smart civilization that has freedom of information is, is well armed against an, an autocrat, right? And so that's why I'm, when in doubt, when things sort of turn political or they turn, you know, it just starts drifting in, into all these areas where everything is black or white, right? I mean, I, I personally err on the side of being pro-freedom. Wherever that leads, I think it is the most sustainable, sustainably positive system in America because of the freedoms that are that are institutional, like, like the freedom to be free. And that kind of goes over and over and over. 
and it can endure a lot. Whereas, you know, you, you have these autocrats that come into these other countries and it's so dependent on them. And, you know, there's going to be a huge vacuum when Putin is gone. It's going to be, quote, quote, weaker is the sense, right? And so how do we stop people from sending them in? Or how do we, I mean, like, this is what the CIA does, right? In in terms of how 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 to go after the population to lose favor for the to make it harder for the regime in, in Russia to want to endure what they're what they're doing. And there's a lot of different ways that history has shown that that happens. I mean, Hollywood is a, is a huge one. Books are huge ones. Movies are huge ones. I mean, covert activities or working by, with, and through partners on the ground is, is certainly that's more of the special Army Special Forces Green Berets sweet spot, right? I mean, that was the mission that we talked about with, with Rich. You know, he went in to Afghanistan to arm the Mujahideen with Stinger missiles to take out Russian helicopters, right? Now, it's not just about taking out the helicopters. It's about the blow to morale from, they don't, they want to stop flying helicopters entirely. Man. And then if you have to stop doing that, then, you know, supply chains open up and, there's all sorts of different kind of ripple effects. If, you, if you're an autocrat, you can't just exert your will all the time. I mean, people are, it's, it gets hard to sustain that. And that's ultimately what happened in, inside of Russia, inside of the Soviet Union at the time is, you know, they, they kept sending home body bags and those are, those are real people. And those real people have real families. And so Look, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm very heartened by protesters inside of Russia right now getting, getting um, arrested and all of that. They're, they're willing to kind of take to the streets. And that's, that's way stronger than, than us sending in, sending in our own troops and our own treasure and, and our own blood. It's, the airspace is the more interesting thing to me personally is, is what... What is, could, would, should happen with, with airspace not being at Russia's disposal? And because if, if you said, hey, this is, this is the, the hypotheticals, right? Hey, we're willing to third party. There's all sorts of third party stuff going on, too, that would allow it to not be the U.S. without the U.S. I mean, th- this is history. This is no insider knowledge, to be clear, right? It's like, you know, if, if you were able to send in fighter jets to take out 40 miles of stacked tanks outside of Kiev and said, those, those tanks don't exist anymore. I mean, what's going to happen then? I mean, Russia slash Putin is a nuclear power and, and he's very unpredictable. So that's kind of the, that's the great card that's being played right now is you don't know what he's going to do. And so Europe's got to be willing to stomach something because it's closest you know and what does that mean like who's willing to ask people to sacrifice something and and still kind of define success right and a lot of times these things this was the sort of like how do we define success and because if you if you do that then you say okay i mean right now it seems to be that define success means we are comfortable enough with whatever Putin is going to do, he's going to do. And we're going to, we're preparing for guerrilla war, right? And so that said, 
We're also doing everything that we can on the banking front, which is not sending any troops. It's not sending, there's some treasure, but not a lot. I mean, you know, stinger missiles and what have you, but we're, we're not willing to commit forces overtly. I mean, there's plenty of, plenty of guys I'm sure deployed and gals deployed in support of Ukrainian operations as a broad term, but you know, we're not crossing those, those borders. And that's a symbolic thing. The airspace is different. I mean, we, we learn how to fight wars with drones. And I mean, that was also my job in, in, on my team was to coordinate all the aircraft and all the, you know, the, the dropping of bombs and all that stuff. And you, you've seen that. It, we know how to do that really well. So that becomes a political, it's a political thing. And it's, it's got to, I just think it's got to be about more than just the United States, because it's not something that, you know, Europe is right there. And of, of all the things that have happened in this, I mean, you know, it's like from a news standpoint, I mean, I saw this, this, the funniest meme, because I like when it de- deals with wartime stuff, right? Like you got to sometimes you got to have a just dark as hell sense of humor. And this thing was like, hey, thanks to Vladimir Putin, the, the latest winner of the Nobel, the Nobel Peace Prize for health and wellness for, for curing COVID-19. It is no longer a thing. It is completely gone. Right. <laughs> and it's, it's like nobody cares now. Right. I mean, because priorities are so much stronger. You see all these all these Ukrainians hunkered down in, in metro stations that are now bomb shelters and not a single person is saying, where are your masks? Right. I, you don't see one. And it, it, it's like, you know, now we have something of, of such significance to all of us because I, you see yourself as a father or you see yourself as a family and you see what's going on and it's easier than ever to see what that looks like. And I can almost imagine what that feels like. And it's really hard. It's really hard to kind of look at. And the natural, my natural reaction, what you're seeing from a lot of veterans and you're seeing from a lot of people in America is uh, like, this is wrong what is going on and send me, I want to go fight for what I know is the right thing to do. Well, I appreciate it. I mean, you, you've been talking for about 20 minutes now and I have no background, no military knowledge, nothing other than talking to people like yourself. And you've probably made a lot more sense and made us understand a lot more in that short amount of time than three months of fucking CNN or Fox. So I want to thank you first for that. Um, the, one more area I want to touch on um, before we get to COVID-19, because that's an entire conversation that will lead into the festival. Um, when I spoke to Rich, Rich Rice, one of your your good friends and uh, you know, Vietnam era Delta guy, um, an interesting thing he said in our interview was I asked him, well, what was it? What, what were some of the precursors to war in Vietnam? And he talked about Saigon being an important trade port. And so again, money and power, ultimately, it's not so much, you know, some of the things that, that people are sold as to why they're they're fighting. Strategically, does the Ukraine have resources or, you know, strategic um geographical importance and, and that's under the guise of this this invasion? And there's a kind of fiscal element to it as well. Yeah, I mean you can you can it's pretty straightforward to Google this stuff, but I mean Ukraine has massive exports. It's a you know there's a lot of resources there. It's it's all of it's all of those things. Yes, this is not. We're not just fighting for. It's it's of strategic significance to both sides, and you know it's obviously 
Ukraine wants to lean towards Europe and Russia doesn't want that. And so, yeah, I mean, there's a lot more that if you say, if, if, if Russia is able to absorb this into their kind of you know, chessboard, right, then that is certainly better for them. When you look at the difference with Saigon, though, I mean, whether he expected, expected it or not, I mean, you know, there, there was a longstanding relationship between um, Merkel and in Germany, uh, the, the chancellor there and uh, Putin, because they both had this kind of East German, East German Russian connection, not to say they were best friends or, or anything for the wrong reasons, but just, there's just a natural kind of tie there. And, you know, that's now gone. And Germany is uh, stepping up from what I've seen, right? I mean, they're, they're, they're shutting gas off and that's, that's an economic spigot for, for Putin. So the, the, the Europe is actually banding together. It's just, you know, if you want to take it to the next level, you're, you're threatening someone who is said, don't threaten me or else. So if you want to sort of say, all right, emergency session, let's put the Ukraine in NATO, I mean, that is an enormous, which, you know, that's, that's exactly what Putin doesn't want. And, you know, then you're dealing with sort of the European Union and there, there are different kind of red lines that would be crossed. And this is, this is an emotional thing. I mean, yeah, it's economics, but my take is that this is an emotionally driven thing of, of idealism. Idealism is, is emotion. I mean, financial calculus and stuff, that is, it can become emotional as more livelihoods are, are affected or not. But that's, that's a different kind of assessment of an individual. And this is, this is over idealism more than anything else, because the, the economics of this right now are, are really bad for, for Russia. And whether he expected this response or not, I don't know. But it's, the, the issue now is he's, he's so committed that it just becomes hard to kind of go up to a certain line. And then when do you cross it? When do you not? Well, again, I appreciate you educating us. I really do. And, you know, I seek the voices that I respect that I think are middle of the road, that are educated, that, you know, are in communities that are surrounded with other great people that you're probably going to have good resources to get to the kind of core of these. So um, I really appreciate that. Now, speaking of being dogmatic and not changing your mind on something, even though it's improving, let's talk about COVID. So... <laughs> The the last time we spoke was almost a year ago. Um, I think you guys kind of brought me up to speed as far as you know what you'd seen. But I'd love to revisit that before we get to to the festival. Um, what I have seen is you know all the things that we should have been doing, being told not to do, and and all the things that we shouldn't be doing have been promoted. So stay inside, you know, wear your mask, don't see your family, get fast food and alcohol delivered to your house, that kind of thing, versus get outside, get fresh air, sunlight, community, sandbags, ocean, um, and be a better, fitter, more resilient human being than you were prior to this thing happening. So this last, let's say, year, talk to me through the GORUCK lens of, of what you guys have seen, um, and then this this upswing i mean personally for me it's been nothing but great news this last few months i mean this latest wave has, has caused so much herd immunity 
you watch the TV, it's all doom and gloom, but you watch with your own eyes in your community. And I think people are really starting to come out of it. So again, I'll give you the microphone. This is the last kind of eight, 10 months since we last spoke, what you've been seeing. So the, the fear to me in this, which there's been a lot of fear sold in, in all of this, and we haven't really defined success, right? Like it's such a problem because if you define success, then you're accountable to it. And if you don't want to be accountable to that, it's sort of, you can keep shifting it. And I don't think there's, I don't think it's, it's people who are just trying to be malevolent or bad people. It's just, you just get caught up in these waves of like, well, you got to wear your mask until when you got to, you know, there's, there's how many boosters a year and until when, right. And, you know, are you, are we still allowed to shame people that, you know, there's just, there's just some weird dynamics where we haven't said, okay, look, we're, we're, we're through this and this and this and this, and this is what it looks like. And now there's, there's so much less uncertainty. So there's, it's, it's such a more predictable thing that we have on our hands. And, and where I've kind of looked at it is we've never had the conversation short of you, really, you and, and a very few select others who have been beating this drum around personal responsibility. And let's have the conversation around, let's mitigate the risk to our lives from this pandemic and every other pandemic and just life in general by being healthier. And let, let's do that. And the problem is that doesn't sell, man. There's no clickbait in that. Or, or maybe there is now because it's so counterculture. You know, we, we represent the voice of personal responsibility. And if you look at that, you know, if you think going inside of a gym is, is a big giant risk, try being weak. It's a really, really bad risk. You know, and you miss out on all the best things in life if you're not physically, mentally, socially fit enough to kind of take advantage of them. And so as, as I look out, it's made me more realize just how important these kind of this triangle of health is between physical health and mental health and social health. And the last two years have been the greatest assault on community building in the history of civilization ever. There has never been, we've never been able to assault community like this because people had to come together. You had to run into people here or there. And now it's just, we've gotten into this thing where you are actually able to just stay inside. You're able to be so private and we're viewing that as a positive. And it's much like technology. Technology is a tool. And if you treat it like your life, you're going to be miserable. And what we're saying is what I'm, what I keep saying over and over and over is it has to be a tool. We have to be social creatures. And if you look at your, your whole health of your, we try to isolate them, like do more push-ups and you'll be stronger, right? You know, go talk to, to a shrink about your feelings and you'll be mentally healthier. And then, but we've just ignored the social component entirely. We've kind of just forgotten about it. And because it doesn't sell. I mean, it doesn't sell. Like, here's your fitness program on your phone. You know, like that sucks. It sucks, man. And the, the issue, though, is it is a great tool. That's, that's the thing. 
you know, the accountability or, Hey, here's the workout of the day or whatever it is, but there's nothing like coming together in the real world. And it makes everything worth it. That, that's what is best in life. Whether it's you and your family, whether it's you and your, your friends or your, your family and your family's friends going outside speci- uh, specifically and doing things together, that's hardwired. We're social creatures. And so that's, that's what we've really been focused on. And that's kind of to count. I mean, there's nothing really political about that, right? It just doesn't sell and it doesn't get the same clickbait that all of the political stuff does. And so for us, it's just kind of, man, continue your journey, have faith in your cause. And we do. And that cause is bring people together in the real world, remind, give people permission to do this. And this social health as just such glue in our lives is, it's just, it's never been under such assault. So it's never been more clear that we need this more now than ever. Well, something you hit on reminds me of something I heard someone say the other day, and I forget who I heard it from now, but it was so spot on. They said, you know what I miss? I I still have interaction with my closest friends, but I miss that casual interaction. Just like you said, at the store, at the bus stop, at whatever. Just that little, you know, smile that, hey, how you doing? The 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 kind of few sentences with the person at the checkout or the person behind you at the checkout. And I was like, that that's it. You know, yes, now we've removed the plastic film between, you know, grandma and and her grandchild and all that stuff, but it's the next level. And I don't think we realized how much community was in just being a human in a village, a town, a city, whatever, you know, and, and, and just the interactions you have without even realizing it, you know, sitting next to someone on a plane or a bus or talking to the Uber driver, you know, I mean, all these things, all a tiny pieces of the community puzzle that add up to this pretty fulfilling day, you take them away, you know, and now you're left with your, you know, your absolute core circle, some of whom you might despise by the time lockdown is done, you know, you've lost that, that feeling of community. And, and what do they say? A tribe is, I think it's 70 people. So it's not five, you know? So, you know, we need those, those casual interactions that we had prior to two years ago. We know this, right? I mean, it, it's the same in business, the water cooler talks. I mean, that's where stuff actually happens. You run into people, you see them. It's sort of, it's easier to just kind of pick up a conversation. And, you know, the, the problem is, is that the human brain is changing in this process and we're getting more addicted to screens. And I think it's going to, I think it's going to go back the other direction because, or we're just going to become cyborgs. Take your pick, right? But for me, there's just been a greater recognition that we have to set up boundaries in our lives to kind of prevent ourselves from ourselves doing what the the brain wants to do all the time, which social media is more addictive than heroin. There are plenty of studies to suggest this. And, and, uh, you know, we, we have to kind of go back to the personal responsibility side. Is this good for us? Does this make us happy? You know, and, and examine your life. Like what's not making you happy. And, and I don't mean in a flippant way. I don't mean in a, you know, oh, this morning, you know, someone pissed in my Cheerios and it wrecked my life. I mean, in a very, a deep level, fulfillment level, what is, what is going on and what are the sources of negative and positive energy in our lives? And I just would argue that time around other people doing fun things 
is an enormous source of positive energy in our lives. And I would argue that spending all of our days on social media, pretending like that's going to make us happy or fulfilled. And, and we, there's always the, the sort of degree of posturing and, and that, that's, that's fine. And I think everyone understands the negative rap on that, right? Like everyone's life on Instagram is perfect, but I think that it's, it's maybe even more of a problem that we feel like we have 2000 friends or we feel like, you know, knowing everything about, you know, our, our friend from 10 years ago's kids, because we saw pictures of them, you know, and you lose touch, touch for a decade and like you get to watch their kids grow up on online. There's plenty of examples I'm sure where that's useful or productive, but ultimately it's, we only have so much time and we can't spread ourselves so thin to, to feel like we're a part of everything because we're not invested in it as much. We're invested more in the people that we have spent real time with, that we have real ties with. And, and so, you know, to me, it is about, it's, it's not about the thread that you have set up with your buddies that you went to the, you know, the, your fire training with, or that you went to college with or whatever, the thread that you have set up should be about seeing each other again. I mean, or else it's just pure nostalgia and nostalgia or envy are the two great motivators for social media. And I think both of them are kind of, you know, destructive to our brains. It's, it's gotta be like, go back to the basics people, right? You know, the time in the firehouse with the guys, that was probably really awesome. You know, when, when it was good, it was great. Same with me on a team, those fundamentals work. You show up, you, you know, for us in the morning, you exercise together, you bullshit with each other. You're, Bullshit a little bit before you work out and during there's some banter and after there's some banter about who was better or whatever, you know, and, and you get to know each other, you get to know each other's families, you spend time with each other. There's, there's grill outs on the weekend. There's camping trips, there's bar operations at times as well, you know, and you just come together and you, you behave in a way where it's not like the forum behavior that you see online. You, you just behave like you love each other because you do. And we need more of that. We need more love, James. That's what we need more of. Absolutely. You get that, you get that in the real world, though. I agree 100%. I, uh, I'm actually, again, hopefully getting Johan Hari back on. He's written a couple of amazing books on mental health and addiction. And now he's done one called Stolen Focus, which is about all the elements of society that distract us and keep us from being in the moment. Um, with the actually being present, I want to get to the Sandlot. Um just before we do, an interesting observation that I personally had in the community I live in, this beautiful, you know, like it's about four subdivisions that are all around this huge like grass space with a football pitch, you know, a real football pitch with your foot um, and a pool and tennis courts and basketball courts and usually, you know, humming with people and kids and everything. And then what was so heartbreaking is during this whole thing, even towards the end, it was desolate out there. And I've had so many people from around the world that I asked them, hey, you know, we always have this surge of new members on January 1st in gyms and, you know, recreational spaces. Have you seen that this year? And they were like, no, we haven't, you know, and that is heartbreaking. So I feel like we really need to almost like, you know, the pulling the, the spring back on a pinball machine. Like we have to put even more effort now into getting people back to where 
they need to be. I mean, COVID held a mirror up to our you know, our face in the US, for example, and I quote these stats all the time, you know, we were, prior to this, we were 70% obese and overweight. We used, I think, 80% of the world's painkillers. And I think it's a similar one for the um, psych meds as well. I mean, we were, a, you know, we were a mess before this thing even happened. And then you deliver the anti-health message that we got, you know, through both administrations, don't do anything, we'll tell you what to do, stay at home, don't touch people. And so now we've got these, you know, almost like paralyzed, inert, men and women that we have to kind of fire back up again. So before we get to the festival, which obviously is going to be, you know, absolutely one of the antidotes for that, what have you seen about, you know, through through your lens again about the inertia, especially this last year when we should have been having a another, you know, new year push back into health and fitness? Where I've thought about it is how do we how do we have a conversation with people that gives them permission to kind of come back around. And our people are, are pretty, you know, there is a fitness focus and there is kind of, you know, a community focus. It should be an easy sell. I hate the word should, but it should be an easy sell. And in some places it has been, and in other places it's been harder. And, you know, I think that, that whatever, whatever the reasons, right, wrong, whatever, I think that people have had a, a, a rough go of it the last couple of years. It's been stressful for me without being directly stressful. It's been stressful because it's been so stressful for others. Or it's been, you know, like I'm, I'm built on like, oh, it's chaos. It's wartime environment. Awesome. Right. Deployment mindset. Great. That's just kind of my DNA. And, and, you know, it's been stressful for me too. It's been really hard. You know, and I think we're we're kind of wise to remember, if not to lead with that, to at least remember it really well. That it it's it's just been taxing, it's been draining, it's been exhausting. And I think that part of the goal is to present something that people want to do, that they feel comfortable enough. Or they feel, you know, like, oh, yeah, this is a good idea for me now. And I, look, I think coming back together for social fitness, whether it's in a gym, at a fitness festival, with its, if it's with your buddies in your driveway, if it's at a public park, if it's you and your dog rucking or walking or jogging around your neighborhood, like a dog is better than nobody else, you know? And if you have a friend, you know, go, go do something with them. I mean, social fitness. And if we, we think about this should be fun, it should not be stressful in all the wrong ways to come and do things that are, that are healthy for us. It's just, there's so many other stressors, you know, I mean, this, this stuff in Ukraine has been stressful for me. It's been stressful for me. And, and so my stresses come in, you know, differently than other people's. Like it, it, it affects me. I know that this is a classic Green Beret mission that is about to be kind of waged in unconventional warfare. I know that I know that our guys are like this is this is what we were trained to do. You know, Afghanistan was really stressful for me, and it, it leads to other things. You know, it, it's uh, it doesn't lead me to do tons of unhealthy things in terms of yes, I, I still go outside or yes, I still do whatever, but. Like stress is stress on your body, you know, and it, and it takes a toll. There's just been a lot of this. The elections have been miserable. 
you know, the politics have been miserable. The, the divisiveness has been miserable. And at some point, you got to kind of take care of yourself, right? You got to take care of yourself. If all of the clickbait is driving you crazy, then, then stop. Just stop. This is the personal responsibility. Learn yourself. Take care of yourself in this. You got you to know what's bad. And you got you to gotta do more of what's good. And, and that's, that's really, it's like, take a deep breath. You know, I mean, if something makes you mad, wait 10 seconds. Makes you really mad, wait 100, you know? And same thing with deep breaths, right? I mean, it's just one of those things where we're all just so quick to get angry. And I'm not immune to this either. It's just been, it's been an angry time. And for lots of different reasons, for lots of different people. I mean, I will tell you, if you look at the sort of stereotypes, right? You say, okay, the people that, you know, thought that COVID was basically nothing and refused to wear masks and whatever, like, this is nothing. Well, let's say a lot of those people got really stressed out about the, the withdrawal, the pullout from Afghanistan. Now you've got stress. Like, that's, if you're really stressed out about the virus and you're not as stressed out about Afghanistan, or you're really stressed out about Afghanistan, and you're not as stressed out about the virus, like stress is stress, man. And more stress for all of us, I mean, more stress for all of us leads to more stress in general. That's the thing about stress. And so the anecdote for me has always been some degree of, of physical fitness. And that's uh, even better go outside, even better yet do it with a buddy. Even better yet, do it with a buddy and talk, you know, talk outside. These basics of, of what makes us happy in life are so, so important. And that helps mitigate the, the threats on our, our livelihoods or on our, our well-being, I should say. So the more that we can kind of message that, the, the better. But I think it's not all just do this, do this, do this, do this, because people tune that, off, tune that out. I think it's more of just acknowledging that it's been stressful for all of us for different reasons don't matter. Right. But it's been stressful for all of us. And, but we do need to kind of nudge, let's nudge, let's get back to living life. Let's, let's keep listening to, to the positive sources of, Hey, this is a healthy thing that we can do. You can do it like this you can do it like that. You can do outside yoga if you don't want to go into a studio, but you have to actually do it. You know, you have to actually show up and do it. And if you don't, and you just sit on your phone one more night and get angry, it's just more of a deficit. So let's get back into some, some surplus or let's start crawling back. And, and those of us who intuitively get that a little bit more, like with great power comes great responsibility. And it's up to us to kind of lead from the front and invite people to join us. Love it. And, and that's exactly it. And obviously, you know, there, I think a lot of the strong communities have managed to maintain that. Like, for example, my CrossFit gym didn't see a drop off, you know, in the new year. They, they, they had some people walk through, but they maintained the whole time. I did the tribe reunion with you guys a few months ago. You smashed me to pieces. Um, and again, you know, there was loads of us there and it was so, so, you know, amazing just to be in a community and even one of the first spartan races i think the first one they opened up was actually i think it was jacksonville or Kissimmee, i forget but doing that with operation enduring warrior it was very very soon after all the, the mouse mandates were lifted in in florida and it was incredible and you know again with with amputee veterans and just 
all kinds of you know, walks of life that were all bonded together by this you know shared suffering. So yeah, we were chatting with the OEW folks this morning. Oh, were you? Operation Enduring Warrior. Yeah, you'll. I'd be shocked if you don't see them out at the out at the festival in April. Beautiful. Yeah, I just hosted their gala. I emceed it. Which that shows you how special oh, awesome. they are because I hate public speaking. That's why I hide behind a microphone. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of that, and so Sandlot, tell me about when you first came up with the idea, and then walk me through to what that will look like for attendees next month. Yeah, so Sandlot Jacks is is a fitness festival, and the, the we started planning this in the like you know last year. So it's been over a year of thinking about how to. How to, how to do what we've just been talking about, give people an opportunity to come together in the real world and have fun. And it's also about fitness and health and discovery of new things. And so it, the goal is to bring a bunch of different friends, partners, communities, a lot of whom have been, you know, it's just their, their, their whole model has changed in throughout COVID. I'll give you one example, like the Ready State, Kelly Starrett out in San Francisco. I mean, they had to shut their CrossFit gym down, CrossFit box down, which is at the Presidio during the pandemic because of some weird California stuff, right? And and so, you know, they pivoted and it was more, it's more virtual. And I think the, the Starrettes and, and the Ready State are just fantastic. And it's more virtual. And I think more people need more of what he's great at, mobility and recovery and all of that. Like, you know, lift more heavier weights and do all of this kind of stuff. At some point, you need to you need to become more re- resilient. And it's it's places it's places and people like that that we've known now for a really long time. And we said, hey, come here. We're throwing a big fitness party with a bunch of our friends in the space, global thought leaders amongst them, and we're all going to be here together. And you get to see these other people that you know are running other companies as well, other brands, trainers, thought leaders. And we're all coming here. And Florida was a good place to do this because it is the capital of freedom in the universe right now. And we knew for a fact that the event was not going to be canceled by the state, which is something that that's not what you want. This sort of, hey, we're going to go through all of this stuff and then it's going to get canceled really bad. Like we had the Florida guarantee, which was this event will not be canceled. If it is, we'll give you all your money back and it's not going to be canceled. Right. Um, But then we said, okay, let's make it outside. Let's do it outside at a perfect time of the year, and and let's bring in other people. So it's it's at a it's in a big giant field in right on the river downtown Jacksonville called Met Park. It's crosses it's across from the the Jaguar Stadium that's right there, and it's you know it's in an awesome beautiful location. And then so then I called up Savage Race, right? Who they're old friends and partners of us. You you did the reunion with Sam, yes. Um, he's their founder co-founder CEO there he's out of Gainesville and we've been friends for for a while and said hey so not just a field we need to put up a big obstacle course he's like cool we've never done an urban one so it's their first urban obstacle course and what that means is it's 17 obstacles on a quarter mile course and so why that's different from other obstacle course races that you might do is it's there you can go do it and then you can come back and listen to some of the speakers giving TED style talks which there are 30, and I'll get to that in, in a minute. But you can come back or you can drink a beer or some water or whatever, go to the food trucks. You can go play cornhole at some of the stations or do some of the other uh, fitness challenges. And you can go back and do the O course again. It's like once you, once you buy the ticket, it's like Disney World. You can ride all the rides, you know? 
But you don't, uh, but you don't have so to line the, up for three hours to write them. Exactly. <laughs> and so the, the next, the next uh, place that I went and, and caught up was, was Bill and Katie at Rogue Fitness. And we've been really good friends with them for a really long time. And they run a fantastic operation out of Columbus, Ohio. And I'm proud of their success. I think it's fantastic the way, what they've done and how they've done it in, in Ohio. I mean, their, their factories are about an hour, hour and 15 minutes from where I was born and, and where my dad still lives. So met them a bunch over the years. Like they knew my old dog, Java. I knew their old dog, Bella, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. Right. And so I'm like, Hey, will you bring a rig and, you know, set that up as well? And they're like, yeah, yeah, we're in. So then now they're bringing, you know, there's going to be some rogue challenges like you'll see in a lot of their kind of communication. They're bringing a couple judges. So we're still kind of determining what the record breaker stuff is going to be, but it's going to be official, right? I mean, it's going to be a rogue, strong presence at St. Lot Jack's Fitness Festival. And so around that, you've got other functional fitness, rogue slash CrossFit uh, brands as, as well. And a lot of them are, are community drivers as well. You know, the, the street parkings and the NC fit, Jason Kalipa, Miranda, Miranda at, at street parking and, you know, Sal at first form. And, you know, there's just a lot of people in, in and around that space, the, the starrets and the ready state. And, you know, there's, so we're, we're just encouraging these, these brands communities to activate. So street parking is bringing its members for their sort of reunion here to, to, to Jacksonville for the festival. And, you know, they're leading a workout, right. As part of what they do. And anybody who's in is welcome to join that workout as well, you know? And, and so there's just, there's a lot of great people and partners that have sort of said, okay, great. Like, I want to be a part of this and we'll bring our people here because people are starving to get back with each other in the real world, you know, just starving for it. And, and it's great. And so you know, you, you kind of say, and then I alluded to it earlier, but these TED style talks, we're calling them fit talks, right? So right on the grounds is this, this public radio slash TV studio that's right there. And they've done TED, TEDx Jacksonville there before. And so we're filming over 30 of these by, you know, Miranda's coming. She's speaking from street parking. Kelly's speaking from the ready state. Juliet is speaking from the ready state as well. Uh, you know, Jason Kalipa, who won the 2008 CrossFit Games, he's speaking. And there's, there's a bunch of other people in the, there's two health and wellness and nutritionist folks. There's strength folks. There's mental health folks. There's a strong kind of military route to it, but it's not exclusive to the military by, by any stretch. And, and then there's also the, the technology side of it that, that we're promoting and talking about, which is, you know, Niantic, their CEO is an old buddy as well. And Niantic's the company that, that created Pokemon Go, right? And before we sort of say, oh, Pokemon Go, right? What's that got to do with it? Think about this. Since Pokemon Go launched, there's been over 6 billion kilometers walked playing Pokemon Go. So, think, I mean, in terms of human health and how to kind of get people more active, they've come up with a great way to get more people into parks and on trails and walking and urban exploration adventures on foot and all that stuff. So we're they're, they're launching some of their community, one of their community days and, and their other games will be there as well. And, you know, their, their CEO is, is keynoting for us on Saturday night. I'll, I'll introduce him. He's like, Oh, great. If I'm going to come in from San Francisco, you're definitely going to introduce me. I'm like, of course I will, John. Right. But when, I mean, his, 
his past, his background, and, and this is, he is the, per, his name's John Hank. He is exactly the kind of person that you want with that kind of influence in terms of technology, because he views technology as a tool. Like he called the, the metaverse a dystopian nightmare. And I agree with and support that, that viewpoint, right? And so like in, in his past, like, well, how did he get to this, right? Well, he started out as VP of map. Google bought one of his, his mapping um, companies. And then he was VP of mapping at Google. So Google Earth, Google Maps, Street View was his baby. Like, oh, you mean we're going to put cameras on cars and drive all over the country and the world? Like, yep, we're going to do that. I mean, who says that? Right. And so it's not a wonder or an accident that Pokemon Go, this thing in his head, sort of turned into something that was like, unique. And, and it's, it, it really is. And so his talk, for instance, is about, um, you know, the future of technology on human health and fitness. And, and then you've got, you know, in the same session as him, you've got uh, Dr. Amy Pollack, who, who's, runs the women's center cardiology department at Mayo Clinic talking about, you know, what's going on there. And, and she's a good friend of ours. Our, our kids go to school together and stuff. And it's like, what is the role of technology on health and heart and, and all of that kind of stuff? Right. And then, so there's over, there's over 30 people with completely different backgrounds and it's very, it's, it's, it's just bringing all these people together in a, in a world where nobody comes together because everything is unite, divide and conquer, right? Like let's divide and conquer everything because it's easier. Well, we say, hey, let's unite everybody and bring them together and let those people meet each other as well, you know? And then we're kind of in the, in, in the room on the grounds with those people. It's like, you want to, you know, you want to go do the obstacle course with person A, B, C, D? Great, come do it. They're going to do it. Or put your own team together and go do it and then go to their booth and say, hey, how are you doing? Right? I mean, that's that's the great beauty in this is bringing all different kinds of, of people from around the country with different areas of expertise. And we're all kind of united by this belief in social fitness and having fun. Right? I mean, you know what's not fun? Working in front of a screen all day and then working out in front of a screen. Right? While Mr. Spandex tells you to pedal faster. Not fun. What is fun? is coming together in the real world with friends and friends that you've not yet made and, and, and just kind of sweating a little bit and then drinking a couple cold ones and going back and sweating some more if you want or learning about something new, like expand your brain. That's pretty fun too. So that's, that's the vibe. You can do lots of obstacle. You can do the obstacle course. You can do fitness, physical challenges. You can listen to some global thought leaders in health, wellness, mental health human performance. You can meet CrossFit games champs. You can talk to leaders in their field of nutrition and health and cardiology. And of course, rucking, throw that one in there. And there's a bunch of go ruck events stacked in there. There's 5k, 10k, 15k scavenger hunts to like get you out into the city. Um, and, and so it's, it really is just a sort of a, a motley crew of, all sorts of people united by fitness and community and having fun. Well, it sounds amazing. I mean, it really does. And I, I was already coming, but you got me all fired up now to to make sure I'm there all three days. I actually looked at the hotel because I used to go to Welcome, Welcome to Rockville at Met Park every year. 
and they move it to Daytona, which blows comparatively, but that's a whole other conversation. But um, more ma- money, more money, more money. Yes, probably. And it's a shame because, you know, a racing stadium is not the same as a beautiful park in the middle of Jacksonville by the river. Um, but anyway, but it's such a it's such an incredible venue. But I was looking at the hotels, and I'm going to have to try and find one because normally you got the one across the river. You jump on the boat. It's, it's a beautiful ride, even to the event. Um, so I'm going to have to lock that in before I air this, <laughs> so it doesn't sell out. Um, one of our mutual friends, a good friend of mine, Chad Belger, is in one of the teams. So talk to me about the competition element that will be occurring there. Yeah, good good question. So. Because we had all of this infrastructure, let me first say what I did not want this to become was something where you just show up and and watch people exercise and drink for three straight days. I mean, if you want that, go to Vegas or you know, there's plenty of there's plenty of that and they have their time and they have their place. But I think more people need to come together and be active together. So that was one of the, the sort of, hey, make it about participation not just spectating, right? And so that's why we built the obstacle course. And that's why, you know, Rogue Fitness is coming. It's why there's trainers leading classes in the field all day long, like good trainers, trainers coming from all over to to activate their communities, lead classes and speak in the the fit talks. Um, So the GoRuck Games, this was born of, hey, we infrastructure, let's do something that will also, you know, add another layer to it that we want to be able to scale in, in future years. And the other side of it is we knew that Sunday would be kind of Sunday at these things is always kind of down, right? There, there's no energy anymore because everyone's really burned it down from, you know, Friday afternoon, Friday night, whatever, and all day Saturday. And, you know, that's, there's a lot of fitness opportunities in there. We'll just say that. Right. And so it's like, okay, so let's do something where we invite you take these three brands, and this is the premise of it. take these three brands. You've got Savage Race Obstacles, you've got Rogue Fitness Strength Equipment, and you've got Go Ruck, rucking and sandbag stuff, right? And you say, put these three together and come up with a competition. We've wanted to do this for a really long time. It's just we never had the, the infrastructure in place at a time and a place to do it right. So put the, the, the infrastructures there and put these three brands together and you say, let's come up with a test that's like that. And the good news is for us is that it just harkens back to our roots in the military. I mean, that's, they tested us on obstacle courses. I had a ruck on my back for years and there was always, Hey, pick up heavy stuff and move heavy stuff. And there, there are military versions of things that are like this, but it's, it's different than, you know, there's no barbells at all in this rogue fitness is bringing some barbells for some of their challenges, but this is not part of the go rug games. And so for those of you that are at the festival, you know, there will be select opportunities to kind of watch or spectate if you will. But, but that, that really, so the schedule, sorry, it's an invitational. I'll give you the mechanics. It's an invitational. It's like 40 males and 40 females roughly, right. Who are going to be doing this Saturday. There's an offsite thing that's far, far away. Right. So it's, it's the beach iteration. So imagine that'll be kind of close to to go rock headquarters and they, they probably need to stretch their legs a little bit before any of this kicks off and then saturday late like saturday say six to eight or five to eight at night there will be this kind of uh qualification on the grounds right and then that will that will take 40 on each side 
down to eight on each side. And then Sunday afternoon, it's going to be, you know, you get to watch it. It's just a competitive style bracket, Highlander style. There can be only one. And so for us, it was, it's the interesting thing is the people who really excel at you know, Spartan world championships and those, those like, God bless them. They're in great shape, right? It's, it's very endurance focused. The question is what happens when that meets a ruck on your back and, or some of the strength, the strength, uh, strength tests that rogue will represent in this. And, you know, if someone's really good at sandbags and, and rogue fitness uh, style tests, like, are they agile enough on the obstacle course where lower body weight is better and more agility is better. And so, you know, you've got these worlds of, of strength and conditioning folks, CrossFit style folks from Rogue. And then you've got obstacle course racing folks for, for Savage Race. And then you've got ruckers and kind of sandbag training folks with, with Go Ruck. And let's come up with a test. And, and I have no idea how it's going to turn out, right? We're not stacking it in favor of one of those modalities because that's not what my training was about. My training was about being good at, at, at kind of all of those. And you're not great at any one, but you're good at all of them. And so what's going to happen? I don't know. Right. But we put, um, we put $50,000 cash purse behind it, you know, to- total purse. And, and, you know, that's why we got some of the, the best athletes on planet earth to show up so far. Yeah. Well, Chad is an, an amazing human. He's been on the show a couple of times and he runs uh, uh recovery RX now as well, which is an amazing nonprofit. But uh, yeah, I'm obviously rooting for him because he's a friend. Incredible, incredible condition yeah, awesome. and the mindset is is amazing. So I'll be looking forward to to watching him compete. So for people listening, uh, you know, I'm sure you've got you know their interests peaked now. So where can they find more about the event, and then where can they register if they want to come? So more about the there is a website sandlotjacks.com, which is sandlotjax.com, and then the passes are are on there. There's day passes. There's three day passes. You can camp or glamp. You can RV camp or glamp if you want to, um, on the grounds. And that's, you know, you can turn it into a sort of a proper festival. You can get a, a hotel, you can, you know, get Airbnb, whatever, all those logistics are all there, but the camping and glamping was sort of meant to really give it the festival vibe. And then, you know, it's on social as well. And, and go ruck is kind of putting the whole thing on, so to say. So, you know, we're going to start ramping that up through Go Ruck channels as well. But Sandlot Jax is on Instagram as well. Sandlot Jax, same handle. Uh, Sandlot J-A-X, I mean. Beautiful. Now, is there anything else that we've missed that you want to make sure that people know about as well? I mean, I guess it's just kind of a, if you're if you're within striking distance and you can make it, I mean, first year events are always, you know, I'm pouring my heart, my soul into this one. And so is our entire team to bring all of these people that we've spent a career getting to know and, and trust and, and be friends with, right? I mean, and we, we gravitate towards working with people who are friends. So first year events are, there's never anything like it, even when it kind of grows up and becomes more or, or it goes away and you just never know which way something's going to go. But there's a lot of magic at this one. There's just people coming that are, you know, there's just that energy of we haven't done anything like this in two years and it's just building. And so I think it's going to be electric and getting 
more people to buy into that. It's like, this is not meant to be an average kind of afternoon, you know? And, and that's not because it's not because it's the county fair. It's because of the people that we're, that we're bringing. And everybody's just kind of like ready. And so I think that's the, that's the secret sauce in this. And I think it's kind of, let's get, let's, let's get back to what we need to do, but let's, let's mark this as the beginning of the beginning. Let's, let's get back to kind of social fitness and get back to kind of being willing to go have fun like this and not feel like we're held hostage to all the things that have been kind of detrimental to, to all of us in different ways. Beautiful. Well, Jace, I just want to say thank you. I mean, the, the conversations are always amazing with you. And, you know, I appreciate that spending the first part of this conversation educating me and I'm sure a lot of other people on, you know, some of the elements that we may didn't, maybe didn't understand of this recent event. But most importantly, you know, you, you guys have always been part of the solution when it comes to this. And that's why, you know, I come back again and again and again and, you know, created this friendship with you and Emily and Rich. Um, and all the other, you know, members of the cadre. But, uh, I'm very excited to, to attend. I can't wait. And like I said, I'm very familiar with the grounds you're going to be on. Um, so it's going to be reminiscent of rocking out a few years ago too. But, uh, I truly appreciate you taking the time to kind of come on the show again and, and get everyone fired up about this event. Thanks, James. I really appreciate you and our friendship and, and the, the people that you, people that you represent and the ways that you all have, have served our, our country and our communities and, and I'm grateful.